You're listening to the Around the Lens podcast, the home of high-quality, roundtable, visual journalism discussion about the news, topics, and gear related to our career field. Now, here's the host of our show, David J. Murphy. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 237. This is, of course, your host, David J. Murphy. I want to talk to you a little bit about this episode before you hear it. We had some technical difficulties and lost the first part of the episode. And so you'll be hearing the second and third parts of the episode, but the first part, unfortunately, is lost. Um, it was a great first part that featured our guest, Stacy Pearsall, talking about her new podcast, Everything Stacy. It's an autobiographical podcast that goes episode by episode throughout her life, each episode being a new a moment, a new time, a new adventure, a new life event. And there are there are three episodes up now, so I highly recommend going to check it out. You can find it on her website, everythingstacy.com. Uh, you can also find it on all of your podcatchers of choice. I just uh, added to my podcast attic, so I'll be listening to every episode Again, great podcast, great friend, highly recommend checking it out. Uh, To compensate for the fact that we lost the first part of this episode, I did a special segment with uh, our co-host with the most, Mr. Zach Roberts. I'll be putting that at the end of the episode, so stay tuned after we're done talking with Stacy and we do all our normal uh, shout-outs and whatnot, uh, to listen to that part of the episode as well. It is pretty cool to have Zach back on. You know, we haven't had him on too much during this year since I moved to Korea. It was great to have Zach back on to talk about what's going on with him, and specifically the three-year anniversary of the Charlottesville protests, specifically you know, the time he was in Charlottesville and covering the protests and the Tiki marches and whatnot. So uh, to hear him talk about that was pretty cool and and just a great way to see what's going on and and also how the event affected him. Because, you know, it wasn't just it wasn't just something that you you shot and you're done with it. It wasn't, you know, something like an assignment. It was something that was deeply it was something that had deep effect on him as a person. And so it was interesting to hear his perspective and take on that and kind of how the event has shaped and affected his life going forward. So again, I apologize for this week's episode not being up to the standard that I normally set for most episodes. Uh, It was a series of unfortunate events. Literally everything that could go wrong went wrong, and I faced a lot of brand new issues that I've never had before. So it was um, a lot of stuff that was unfortunately out of my control too. Uh, But, you know, again, I learned a lot from it. I fixed the processes. Next week should be A-OK and perfect and good to go, so tune in for that. Uh, But without further ado, let's get on with the show. Here's Around the Lens, episode 237, with Travis Keyes, Ron Hamilton, and our guest, Stacey Pearsall. I'm anxious for the new Top Gun movie to come out, and apparently they keep postponing it. Really? Yeah, because they can't get it in theaters. So they're trying to figure out how to release it. Let's talk about it. Amazon Prime. People actually went to movie theaters prior to COVID anyway. A lot. 
A lot? Really? I went, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, I went to the movies. Yeah, movies, movies did millions and billions of dollars worth of, uh, oh, you know, the, the big movies like Top Gun would do, you know, 300 to 500 million dollars, you know, to a, a billion dollars domestically. I mean, domestic and foreign. Um, so th- that's a different revenue stream. And you're looking at, you know, now, like Disney is trying Mulan. Uh, they're going to, they're, going to release it to uh, their new uh, streaming service, but it's a $30 add-on. So if you look at, yeah. you know, how many... But imagine, you know, at theaters, it's, you know, at 10 to $15 per person at, at most big cities, maybe, you know, a little at 10 But uh, now a whole household is going to get in at $30 instead of, you know, uh, a whole, you know, five, 10 people. They'd make a lot more money at a theater. Uh, so it, it changes the dynamic. Theaters are going to are, are gonna fold what's going to happen. It doesn't hurt, you know... Uh, the distribution model will change a bit, but theaters theaters just won't make it out of this. Uh, drive-ins are making a comeback. Yeah, yeah they sure are. Like they sure that. are. And I bet you, uh, you know, the old uh, 50 drive-in uh, restaurants are going to start making little pop-ups. Maybe, where you drive maybe. up and they bring, you know, roller skate your order out yeah, to your roller car. Skate, yeah. yeah, yeah. I bet you get Sonic some of Sonic used to do that. Even in the uh, the 80s, I know Sonic was still doing that. Yeah, yeah. Sonic still here. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yep. I believe they do it at all Sonics, don't they? Where they bring the food. Not all Sonics. Not on the East Coast. Well, they bring it, but not with roller skates. Yeah, no tour. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 And of course, Walmart will be offering drive, uh, drive up, you know, drive-in theaters in their parking lots. <laughs> starting, I don't know when if they already started that, but they're going to be showing old movies stopped, mostly. I think they stopped the people from uh, uh, using their RV as camping sites. It depends at- on the Walmart. <laughs> That's one of the best things about their parking lots. You can park your RV in there and just right. or car or whatever, sleep in there. I think I saw a documentary about that. Oh, Speaking of documentaries, Pete Souza has one out called The Way I See It. Are we guys gonna go, are we all gonna go see this in theaters? Are we gonna risk COVID to go see The Way I See It, the Pete Souza documentary? I've definitely seen it, but not in a theater. Yeah. I love well, you, probably not a theater. And and usually a, a film like that doesn't get a big distribution out to theaters, so you know, they'll, they'll show it in like the LA and the New York for the award, you know, yeah. recognition, but that's about it. Wow. And what a different awards this is going to be for the next year. It's going to be kind of crazy. Right? Yeah. Best Oscar Just, is going to get a Sonic the Hedgehog. I the, 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 rules, right the rules of being released in a theater might change a little bit uh, because uh, there haven't been much for theater right. releases. That's kind of really interesting. But this, Pete Souza, sort of an idol. I, I think he's fabulous in his his work and his commentary and uh, the way he's seen the world and and and, and especially his post commentary of after and tying it into the current political atmosphere. I think he's a, a really great voice right now, and I'm really excited to see this. And uh, we're we're trying to get him for something for APA right now. So oh. we're we're doing a big event for World Photography Day, and he wasn't available for that, but we're hoping to use him for something else. Uh, so trying to I'm, get him on ATL instead. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I did actually reach out to his uh, person who does that sort of thing, and uh, he was uh, done doing interviews. He was uh, when he was doing his book tour. I tried to get him on the show, right. and when he's big, I he's big now, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> I have to wait for his career to go down in the dumps before he'll be on the show. Uh, yeah. Oh, take that back. No, <laughs> nobody wants that kind of bad juju. <laughs> oh, he'll be fine. I, I have my signed copy. Oh, Excellent. cool! I like it. Nice. Is that like have you have you priced that on eBay to see what that 
That would net you? Yeah. I have not. I have not. It's still, I had it sealed and I have not even gone through it, that copy. No, that's great. That's a, that's going to be a good collector's item, I think. Um, so that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I've been a fan of his, his work and I've, I've loved what he's done, you know, in terms of uh, his post Obama era sort of um, ribbing of the current president. That's been very interesting to watch that. But I mean, from a professional standpoint do you think that that's something like if you were in his position do you think that would be professional is that the right thing to do i think i i'm a full in favor obviously i think he has a, a very good leg and voice to stand on i mean he saw the presidency from a standpoint where very few of us ever get to see it the very intimate moments the human moments the behind the scene moments he was granted access which Beyond what most people will ever see as a, as a presser or a photographer in that kind of situation, he had implicit trust from Obama and uh, to, to, to really see what a president goes through in that something. He, you know, you'd have to be a family member to see that kind of access, and he sort of was. And so when he gets to see and kind of, you know, contradict that or, or look at it beside the current presidency, he has firsthand knowledge of an everyday uh viewpoint of what it really is to be a president and to see it and uh, in a very different fashion and i think his voice is very important on that you know i thought it was very interesting you know and again like i said i learned he, he photographed for a republican and a democrat president and it made me think about you know we all have our own political affiliations and perspectives on on what's going on but you know can we put politics aside to be good visual journalists you know do we do we let our personal beliefs and whatnot get in the way of that at all. I mean, you know, obviously, Travis, you've been very um, uh, vocal in your sort of displeasure with what the president has been doing. Would you, you know, work for the president? Would you be his photographer? Would you, you know, or you know, would you do a portrait session with him for the, the sake of the fact that you're photographing the president? Or would you, would you not on some personal grounds? Um, I, I've actually thought about that. And uh, um, it's, uh, I think, yeah, I came to the conclusion, yeah, I would photograph it because it is such an important piece of history and I might be able to see it in a way, but I, they would never hire me just because of my political family and uh, leanings and stuff like that. I would have never made it past, you know, <laughs> past the get go on that one. <laughs> so, but uh, um, yeah, I think it's really important to uh, try and, 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 and it's a very tough thing to, because I, 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 I can basically say yes, you know, it's like, all right, I, I could photograph a Republican or a Democrat, but this is so far beyond that at this point. This is, this is, uh, it has nothing really to do with right, left. It has to do with one man. And, uh, and for me that, uh, I, I certainly have not hid my views on this person. And, uh, and unfortunately I, I, I have never been so kind of taken back by the current state of affairs in my life. And, uh, it's, it's hard. I don't know if I could actually at this point shoot him objectively because of my feelings of him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the same question for you, Stacey, in that, you know, again, whether it's political affiliation or just maybe, you know, someone who perhaps you disagree with or, or you know, the entity, perhaps a company, you know, how do, how do you sort of wrestle with potentially the fact, you know, getting asked to do something for an organization or a person that you don't want to do that for? Or do you just not do that? As a photographer, I believe that it's an important to keep an open mind photographically and to approach that story with truthfulness and honesty. And I, and, and if somebody were to assign me a to go photograph the, the president, then I would, I would do that. I tend not 
I tend to try and not let my personal political beliefs get involved with um, my my professionalism as a as a photographer. It's it's tough, but <laughs> but um, yeah. That's a challenge. This, this one, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really tough question because on this one, yeah, would I go and take an honest photo and 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 represent the situation? Of course, absolutely. But at the same time, deep in your head, would you also be looking for that moment, like, ha, see, I knew this, <laughs> I knew that he was capable of that. Would you be looking for those moments that subconsciously, like, I, I knew it was there, there it is, I, I saw it because I was mm-hmm. looking for it, mm-hmm. you know. And I think I, in any situation, we're looking for moments, whether they're good or bad, and and but mm-hmm. uh, I think there, I don't know if there's a subconscious bias in that is because this mm-hmm. person is so to the other side that we would right. be looking for it, and it's very tough to kind of judge that unless you're in that situation. I think all of us are extremely professional and probably would. Even more so, like oh, I can't do that because I have to be professional. We might actually take two steps back instead of two steps forward, just to be like, no, have to be professional and have to do this, you know, and maybe overthink it. I don't know. Right. I think every every assignment that you do or any story, any portrait, it's going to be shaded by your by your biases and by your prejudices. So no matter what the subject matter is, everything that you lived prior to that assignment is going to come in behind the camera. On that assignment. So regardless yeah. of how hard-lined you are in terms of journalism and where you stand ethically, no matter, I don't care how <laughs> great you are, it, it still shades your work. And and for me, I, I let I let myself know reality a long uh, a long time ago, and and that the work that I do is definitely from my point of view. So it's just going to be what it is. You know, Stacey, you've photographed a lot of veterans, obviously, for your Veterans Portrait Project. And, and a lot of those, I know you've, you've kind of sort of just set up shop. And I guess you not all of them were pre-scheduled, pre-vetted sort of subjects. There were a lot of people just walked up into your booth and you photographed them. You know, was there ever an instance, and, you know, feel free, if you don't feel like answering, you don't have to. But was there ever an instance, perhaps, where you encountered a veteran who maybe, you know, was not a good person or perhaps maybe just, you know, was was uh, rubbed you the wrong way, but you still oh. like photograph. You you kind of mm-hmm. you grinned your teeth and bared it and took their photo anyway. Yes, there. I mean, one instance that comes to mind, and I think this is right in line with this particular topic. I had a veteran come up uh, to the VFW. I sat at the VFW convention, my studio. A veteran came up, and Ashley Brokop was a fellow combat photographer, and she was helping assist me that day. And we were both standing there two young women and this gentleman a Vietnam era gentleman started talking about women not belonging in the military, women not belonging in combat roles. And Ashley and I are kind of looking at each other from the side of our eyes because we're both Iraq war veterans. And he just had all of these presumptions and was just going on and on and mansplaining things to me. And I was like, Oh, (laughs) all right. And then when he realized who I was, and there's literally a pop-up banner with my background and my photo. So there was like, it was right in his face. And I, and I still ha- I still went through photographing him because there are some people that are just not going to change and that makes them who they are. And I'm who I am. So I'm going to take it or leave it from him or he, and he's going to take it and leave it from me. And we'll just have to say, okay, I appreciate your service. Thank you. Here's your picture. 
<laughs> Did he at least apologize or anything? No. No, totally unapologetic. Wow. Well, it is what it is. What were you going to say, Ron? I was saying uh, that's the difference between a photo assignment, uh, you know, one time shoot the guy, and follow this guy around for the next four years and photograph him and all these things. That's the difference. Yeah. In that, in that thing. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think in that instance, like, you know, the current White House photographer, you know, obviously they had to know what they were getting into and took the job, you know, knowing everything that they knew. So there had to be a, a degree of buy in there with regard to, you know, the person that they're covering. Uh, but how about you, Ron? Anyone you've ever covered who, you know, you had? You plenty know, of times. Plenty of times. You go, you go, you get a, a photo assignment to go shoot some guy that did whatever the heck, and he's a total jerk and doesn't want to be there, doesn't want you taking his picture. Uh, you know, I, I got to do this because they said I had to, but I'm not going to smile. Don't expect me to pose. Oh, I hate people like that. And <laughs> uh, unlike um, many of my colleagues, uh, I don't have any um, implicit bias against our beloved president. However, I don't think I would want to follow him around photographing him every day just because I think he would be one of those difficult clients. I don't think um, I think I would get that picture of me last week looked like crap. Don't take a picture of me like that. It's too much stress. I'm not in it, man. Give me give me something nice and relaxing like a beach photograph. That's what I like to do. That's why I moved to Hawaii, not D.C. Absolutely. Um, let me think. Have I can't think of like a particular subject or story that I shot where I wouldn't have been willing to shoot it, or I had sort of qualms about shooting it. So there, that's my contribution to the subject. I have. I can't think of anyone. Any one we time. We talked about. We talked about on the show before, Lieutenant Cali. Um, Lieutenant Cali. From the Milai massacre, mm-hmm. and it was uh, there was a there was a magazine. It was um, Vanity Fair or, or, or um, somebody some some magazine wanted to put him on the cover with a bunch of Vietnamese children. Um, mm-hmm. This is after he led the the, the massacre in the, of the village, and I guess the idea was to show that hey, this guy's not so bad. He um, look, he's holding Vietnamese children on the cover of our magazine. And mm-hmm. I brought it up to the group before. Would you take the assignment, knowing mm-hmm. who this guy was, what he had done, and would you photograph him? And at the time, we all pretty much agreed, yeah, we would do it uh, because that's our job to do it. But we would not enjoy it. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it, Zach know. said he wouldn't do it flat out. I think Zach said he wouldn't do it. I don't. I don't recall. You can go back to that episode, episode number thirty-five. No, I don't remember. <laughs> No, I, I don't think there'd be an instance where I, like, for instance, again, regardless of what my personal beliefs are, I, I'd be happy to photograph any president in office. I think of, the, again, it's the historical nature of it and the, you know, the once in a lifetime type of, you know, opportunity. Like I went to a, you know, a rally for a candidate and, you know, uh, it was not something I would normally do, but it would happen to be in my area. And I went there just for the, the uh, desire to see it in person. And I actually met with uh some other folks who were in the um, around the lens community there, so it was a, it was a pretty neat event, and just to kind of see that in person because I'd never been to any political rally of anyone ever um, was pretty cool. So no, I wouldn't have any issue uh, photographing anyone, and I think you know that's the thing. That's the you, you work for a newspaper, you work for 
uh, a publication, uh, if you're a staffer, you know, you may have to do some very tough assignments like that, photographing criminals, photographing, you know, hardship and um, death and destruction. You know, like, for instance, this Beirut um, story okay. segue into our next topic. Uh, that's obviously not an easy topic to cover. And, you know, the New York Times did a great job in highlighting some of the, the photos that were published um, by many different uh, photojournalists from the community. And uh, we want to talk about some of those photographs and talk about all the ones that most impacted us. Um, so I've had a, a few of them loaded up here. And I'm just going to go into the, you know, the first one that uh, all of us kind of agreed upon. And we can kind of talk about why and how this affected us. Um, so, of course, this is the photograph of the woman who has her finger up to a soldier and she's yelling at him and it's shot from a top down perspective. Um, so, again, a very impactful photo. It struck a lot of us. Um, so I'll start out with you. Uh, let's say you, Travis, um, you mentioned this affected you. Why did this affect you from this event? Just seeing the, the gravity of this event was uh, kind of overwhelming. I mean, just it's one of those things that you see it, it, from in, in this day and age of technology, uh, all the different angles and, and momentary, you know, that, that moment that we were able to see from cell phones, from different cameras, from everything instantaneously and get to, like these little vignettes into different people's lives of how they experienced this moment instantaneously was overwhelming. And it was it was and it, and it looked so surreal. It looked like something like it looked like a movie effect. It looked like something you'd see in one of these great Roland Emmerich disaster films. It was so like hard hitting. I think like there's there's times in your life you see certain things. Like uh, I remember when I was a kid, the first time I saw, you know, a, a journalist killed on live TV. It was, you know, a, a van being pulled over and it was shot right there. And that never left me that as, as a young, young kid. So there's a, we we're in this stage where we see so much that not a lot really affects us anymore. So, but this one was, this one was hard hitting. It was, it was unbelievable to see this con concussion wave ripple out and destroy things instantly and uh, have that effect on so many. And then, you know, quickly trying to figure out in this day and age of, was it, you know, a terrorist attack? Was it a, you know, an accident? Was it this and that and the other? It, it was, it was, it was pretty unbelievable. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the, the video is just devastating and, you know, goes to show in this day and age with everyone having cell phones, just how many different angles of this explosion were captured. I mean, I think I've seen at least a dozen or so or half a dozen at least. And they're all like high quality 4K, you know, shots from this. Although, please, people, vertical, come on. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, but Stacey, you picked this photo, too, as one that kind of impacted you and some other ones as well. But, you know, just why did this photo impact you? Well, first of all, my thoughts and prayers go out to... Uh, to the people impacted, and I I wish them all a speedy recovery for those who are wounded, and um, my sincere condolences to the families who lost loved ones. But um, and and hats off to Hassan Amar. I really want to meet you one day and shake your hand because your work from this disaster is really impactful, and it it, it brought it home to me. This image particularly I find compelling because I I think if you were to look at it interpretively. Everything is centered on this one particular woman who, whose rage and grief and everything that one could imagine that, that would happen after this, this tragedy um, is summed up in her expression and her body language. And I, and I believe, too, this divide between the citizens of the city and the government, because on, on the bottom right-hand corner are uniformed personnel, and they're all reaching out to, this, to the center where this woman is 
basically holding the rage of the people on her shoulders because everybody is facing toward her. And it's just, talk about a moment. Wow. Great job, Hassan. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's definitely an impactful moment, you know, in its own right with, you know, again, the, the two people engaging. And I've seen this sort of similar um, conflict, right, between protester and protestee and, you know, Police, you've seen it. I mean, there's a million protest photos now with all the Black Lives Matter protests out there. Um, you see the the engagement between the protester and the police officer and stuff. So you've seen that at the ground level. But to see that from the top-down perspective, that's something that's it's very rare, especially as clear and unobstructed as this has been. Uh, Ron, was there any photograph from the set that uh, struck you? No, there's a lot. You know, for me, the... Um, uh... I guess the video was the most impactful for me, um, but for the aftermath, I prefer the photos of the aftermath. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't the the the, um, the still photos, you know, the, you know, of the explosion itself, the burning building, so on and so forth. Uh, those, those are those are those are of course you know uh, interesting photos, and they're 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 you know. Uh, they show what happened and things like that. But the aftermath photo, still photos. I like the aftermath, the burned out, the, the the wreckage that shows what happened after. I like the still photo there. But the um, the video for me was the most striking uh, of, of the event itself. That was uh, very impactful. I I was watching um, one of the news channels I have here, and um, I, I my wife was washing dishes in the kitchen. And I said, Oh my God! And she says, Oh, you know what what what's going on? And I said, "Look at this video! Oh my God! You can, you know, we, every channel has has videos, and that was that was incredible." Um, but when I look at the still photos, the most impactful for me is what I said—the aftermath, the burned-out husks, mm-hmm. the buildings, the the wreckage, things like that. Yeah, there's one shot that shows the skyscrapers with like I think all their windows blown out, and you can like see right through them, and that just struck me as like, wow. I mean, this is just such a devastating thing and i think the news reported that this was the largest explosion short of a nuclear like weapon so to speak that's ever been blown up they said they what they, they heard it or felt it from 200 miles away i mean that's wow. that's incredible oh just just really devastating stuff and uh you know obviously besides the protest photo and i think you know going along what you said ron you know one of the other impactful photos for me was the the one that shows the mushroom cloud from a distance with the building in the foreground, I think that really gives you a perspective of this. And it's just really uh, unreal, you know, how how massive and devastating the, the explosion and the aftermath were. Yeah, I picked out that photograph, you know, that showed the devastation, the towers. And it looks like these are just uncompleted towers that are being put up. But I guess they were complete towers that have just been completely devastated by the shockwave. Um, Stacy, you picked out a photograph uh, it shows a man, uh, looks like he's carrying his daughter. I don't have the caption in front of me. Um, but, you know, they're walking through, obviously, the devastated area. There's a, a lot of cars parked on the road. What kind of struck you? There's smoke in the background. What struck you about this photo? For me, a good photograph uh, conveys emotion and, and, and prompts a, an emotional response. And I think, for me, also, the human experience is really important, which... I think that's probably, I, I hear that y'all were, were drawn to seeing the devastation, which um, 
sadly I've seen a lot of over the course of my life firsthand. And what really draws me to the human experience is, is knowing that the toll and Mm -hmm. this picture struck me because I imagine that, that the man who's carrying this little girl is his, um, is the father or some close relation. Um, but, and probably likely hurt himself and is trying to get this youngster away from the damage or to safety or to get medical help. And that I think this talks to the human experience for me that you could be shot up and bloody yourself, but to help your fellow man, whether it's your own kin or a perfect stranger is, is something that we, we all have in the response of something so tragic. That's why I think my, my own personal feelings are being projected on how I interpret this image, which I think we all do as consumers of photography. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the, the body, you know, the, the ones that showed like the, the coffin and, or, you know, pulling out the victims from the rubble, you know, that's definitely some very uh, impactful stuff. Um, Stacey, you know, as someone who's worked in combat camera and has been, you know, you know, in a position where they were sent to cover different devastating areas and, and places affected by tragedy. Is there any part of you that like a gut instinct or gut core wants to go out to this area and document this? Is that, is that any part of you that wants is driven to want to do that? I think if you would have asked me that 10 years ago, I would have been like, yep, I'm ready to go. Mm-hmm. I, I think my priorities have changed and my vision as a photographer has changed and I appreciate what high risk photographers are doing and they're out there doing this hard work every day. So, so thank you to all of you, all of y'all for risking your lives for that. But, um, uh, I think I'm going to leave it to, to them to do it now. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, same question for Travis and Ron Any any desire to want to get out there and cover this? Um, yeah, or really I mean, any, I, any tragedy. Yeah, I, I always have a desire to shoot uh, in, in any situation. Uh, well, not I won't say that anymore. I'm not, uh, I, I thought in my younger years, I, I could have done war, war and conflict, but I know I don't want to do that. And <laughs> I want yeah. anything to do with that. Uh, and my, my hat goes off to anyone that can actually do that because uh, that is uh, pretty amazing. Um, but uh, to, to be able to tell these stories and, and shoot stuff uh, from a more human angle, I think is always a beautiful thing instead of just trying to show the devastation is trying to show the humanity and uh, trying to bring a positive light from from negative would be an angle that I always like to do. Yeah, yeah. Ron? Yeah, no, no, no conflict for me, man. Uh, I like it nice and safe on <laughs> well, the beach. Uh, do you really consider this conflict photography? I mean, it, it was well, not... a dangerous situation. Out. I wouldn't want to... I, 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 uh, I don't like doom and gloom. I, I like I like nice, easy jobs. Uh, you see the stuff I do nowadays. It's not... It's, it's it's more cushy kind of stuff. That's what I like. I like I like nice and safe. Um, okay. I don't I don't want to go to a foreign land and uh, site of bombing or, or uh, where I spend my free time in the Philippines. Uh, so I guess there's some conflict there, um, but I, I I feel safe there. I guess this would be a, a big explosion like that would keep me away from the area for a long time. I think. Okay. Yeah, I mean, given the opportunity, because uh, I'll of course answer my own question. If uh, I would go out in heartbeat. I mean, this is the kind of thing where, um, you know, as a as a visual journalist, it's like you want to be where the action is, and, and that, um, and, and for the of course 
you know, reason of documenting history and documenting not only the, the devastation, but also the recovery. I think that's that's an even more impactful story is where is this where is Beirut going to be five, 10 years from now after this? Will they have been recovered? And I think capturing that, you know, recovery from devastation will be just as impactful as the actual devastation it is. So uh, given the opportunity, somebody said, hey, Dave, pack your bags, grab a camera and go out to Beirut. Wow. I, would, I would be on a plane tomorrow. Like I went down to uh, Puerto Rico right after the hurricane hit and you know, I wasn't there just to like document or anything. But again, you know, covering and supporting the recovery of Puerto Rico was a pretty impactful mission. And, um, you know, in any way, trying to tell that story, I think, would be something I wouldn't, you know, just as like just as much it'd be a once in a lifetime opportunity to document the president or, or another high figure. Uh, I would see I would treat this the same way. All right. Well, that's going to end this week's show. I want to thank our guest, Stacey Pearsall, so much for taking time out to be with us. Stacey, where can people find out about more about you and your work? Well, visit me at everythingstacy.com and you'll find my social media channels there. And let's let's talk. Okay, great. Uh, yeah, definitely engage with Stacy, and you may end up on one of her podcasts someday. Oh, you won't believe this experience I had talking to this guest. Uh, hopefully this experience shows up on your show at some point, many, many years down the road when you've reached episode 150. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, uh, Ron, anything going on in your world we need to talk about before you sign off? Um, tune in every uh, Monday around the lens, 3 a.m. Hawaii time. <laughs> indeed, indeed. It's uh, big in Hawaii. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, Travis, I know you got some stuff going on with Kando. Tell us, tell Lawrence about that. Yeah, uh, uh, Kando, since we couldn't do it in person this year, is doing Kando uh, everywhere, which uh, is free to sign up. Uh, and uh, you can go to Sony Alpha Universe and uh, sign up there. It's going to be on the August 15th and 16th, and it's got a whole bunch of presenters and webinars and all kinds of great content. I'll be doing something with Adobe about teaching how to edit uh, through Lightroom and, and CC Mobile, throwing some great tips out there. Uh, and it's going to be a really, it's a really fun event. I, I'm, it's one of my favorite things of the year, and I'm a, a you know, it's, it's, it, it kicks me hard when we couldn't do it in person this year because we yeah. always do it someplace amazing but uh at least it, it continues online for the, for this year awesome that's great anything else going on we need to know about before we sign America, up from you? Know, world photography day is coming up on august 19th that's going to be a oh. big one for us apa is actually american photographic artists we're doing a full zoom day uh we, we have a, like five or six different uh presenters and we're doing all kinds of fun stuff and uh it's uh, either free or donation uh to to join up and you can check us out at uh, apa new york.com uh or uh new york.apanational.org uh to see all the information and uh we, we'll be doing lots of great stuff we have a lot of great people uh giving some wonderful wonderful uh advice out and uh teaching some stuff to celebrate World Photography Day. Awesome. I hope you have no technical difficulties. Well, I, I, <laughs> doing doing a, a eight-hour event, I, if it turned out, I, I might be pulling my hair out if I, if I had some of the issues you had today. You, you, you dealt with it well. Oh, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Uh, you're, you're uh, all right. Well, if you'd like to support uh, our show and give us uh, some financial assistance, as always, we appreciate it. If you go to patreon.com slash around the lens, uh, if you if you could just like to uh, support the show and comment and, and participate in the conversation, we welcome that as well. Uh, even telling a friend or someone you know about the show will be truly appreciated. And you can find links to all our social media at aroundthelens.com. We've got Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, YouTube, everywhere you can think of. We've got a platform. So not TikTok, though. Should we get on TikTok? <laughs> is it, yeah. is it too late to get on TikTok? Uh, in 42 days, we'll do it. <laughs> indeed, indeed. All right. Well, again, 
Stacy, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. You're always welcome back. Don't be a stranger. Um, and we'll, maybe we'll have you back when you come on and talk about your, your TV show when that actually gets published. So definitely look forward to that. All right. For Ron Hamilton, Travis Keys, I am David J. Murphy. This has been Around the Lens 237, and we are out. Hey, everyone. I'm David J. Murphy. Welcome to this special midweek, unexpected, unplanned, uh, pseudo Around the Lens episode that you're watching right now. If you if you happen upon this and you're like, why is around the lens in the middle of the week and it's just Zach and Dave? Uh, well, there's a reason for that. I'll get that to in a minute. But uh, for those of you who may have not, uh, who may be new to the show and have only started watching within the last year, Zach is, of course, the host with the most, the original OG around the lens co-host uh, who's been... You know, tied up with other things, and also uh, I have not made it easy for him because of the change in schedule <laughs> with moving to Korea. Uh, but glad to have you on, Zach. Zach Roberts, yeah, tell people quickly uh, who you are and your little background about you know those from unfamiliar with who you are. I'm a photojournalist, uh, obviously. Uh, I cover uh, mostly, unfortunately, I cover um, mostly like the far right. Uh, when it comes to like I was at Charlottesville this is the three year anniversary of the TE Torch March unfortunately um, I uh, but but also I'm a investigative reporter uh, that uh, covers uh, voter suppression and things like that um, and a Nikon user <laughs> sorry for your loss no, I'm just kidding I love yeah. Nikon by the way have you seen the rumors about the new Z5 not, well, I mean, the Z5 is not rumored but the I know there's Z6 yeah. S or Z6 Part yeah, Two or yeah. something. God, I hope they, I hope they don't do those names. Uh, I just want a new camera name, <laughs> like, or even if it's like the Z, I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, um, I there's like Nikon rumors had some like interesting things that I dream that like dream of. The biggest thing with the um, that I'm excited about is the new battery, um, which is. <laughs> can't believe her words that I'm saying super excited about the new battery hey. um, but one of the biggest problems with um, uh, a lot of mirrorless but also but like specifically uh, at least personal level um, it's the uh, Nikon's battery life uh, or yeah. just the mirrorless battery life especially oh my god when you're shooting 4k video mm-hmm. <laughs> just like oh, wow. I have six batteries and I'll end up like using them sometimes um, but uh, is the fact that they have a uh, rechargeable in-camera um, uh, battery that's coming out and that's going to be able to be like a quick char- uh, longer life and a quick charge uh, It's and it's the same like battery style and everything like that it's just like I guess the tech inside is is an upgrade so with the Z5 um, they're going to start with that uh, battery and then I, I assume whatever new cameras that Nikon ends up coming out uh, with uh, on the higher level will have, uh, will have that great battery which is going to be really really big uh, update for me <laughs> Um, also, the new ones are going to have supposedly going to have the biggest thing is the new ones are coming to the realization that, oh, we really, really messed up when we only put one card slot in. Um, uh, I'm really, really hoping they also give up on the the um, QXD crap. Um, I hate that. It's so expensive. And like, I don't know. It's a, <laughs> I'm sure that there's like great things that it does, but I can't I can't tell. Um, the, 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 the body of the card isn't as good as compact flash, um, even was if you're going to have like a larger one and like the, 
SD cards are now, you know, so fast that I can't imagine that you can't do it. I mean, Sony does it. So, I mean, like, I don't understand why Nikon couldn't do it. Um, but more than anything, like the idea of buying a, a 120 gig card that costs over $200. Um, I mean, you can find them on sale for a little bit cheaper, but like, that's, that's just, that's just, uh, yeah. Well, the only me uh, the only silver lining to that, or at least the manufacturers using those new cards, you know, like Canon has adopted the CF Express format. Yeah. Um, I know that, you know, of course, Sony's new cameras have the CF Express Type A or whatever. You know, the hope is, of course, with the adoption of those those faster card formats, that because there are more of them, it'll hopefully bring down the, the production costs. Uh, but as long as they still support SD, I think you know it, uh, you're okay with regard to the majority of what you can capture with those cameras. I mean, I think the Sony A7S III is a perfect example of doing it right because you've got the dual SD card slots, you've got the dual CF Express card slots, and you only really yeah. get like one additional sort of recording format or capability. Yeah. You still get about 90, 95% of the capability of the camera just with high-speed SD cards, um, which if you look into what they're, you know, what they cost, like the extremely high end of the SD, even in the UHS-2 sector, they're extremely expensive too. I know I bought them. Um, but again, you know, hopefully again, if you, if you want the speed to do like the 8K and the 4K 120 and all the other cool yeah, stuff, yeah. I, I don't know. I think UH, uh, SD, I mean, they could come out with maybe a UHS-3 variant of the card, Right, but then you're talking about a, still a new card, so to speak, yeah. that you're going to have to buy. It's, I mean, for me, it, I mean, one of the biggest problems is that I'm still, I'm still currently in the. I have a, a D750, which is a two SD card slot, uh, and it's a standard DSLR and a mirrorless. That's that's what I use. And so one of the big problems is that I have like a catalog of SD cards, um, and I have one hundred and twenty gig card that you know you have to make the decision to switch out and things like that and. It's just, um, I don't know, it's just annoying. Um, I, I get with all new changes and that sort of thing, and that's, you know, that was, but it's just, it's especially annoying considering, like, it's everything they, Nikon at least, you know, is what I can speak about, uh, is made all the things that, like, I can still use all the lenses. I have not noticed a single difference when it comes to speed and everything like that. The, the Nikon lens adapter has been fantastic. Everything works just like, the, just like the other Nikons, except this damn card, which is so annoying. Even the same batteries work. Like, I can use the batteries interchangeable, which is fantastic. It's just, like, one of those really stupid annoyances, and usually it doesn't even come up. Um, but, like, the last like the last event I covered, I've started shooting everything in 4K um, because the, the still, when you could uh, capture frames and take still images, which is what I always use, um, it's the highest, obviously, it's the highest quality capture, but also... Like, oh, my God, I mean, it's so, uh, with Premiere and everything like that, it's so easy to, uh, on a really sunny day, like, do minor fixes. Uh, it's like Lightroom, you know, it's like you just, like, slide a little scale and that sort of thing. And you can save save video that's, like, overexposed or underexposed so easily mm -hmm. that, you know, <laughs> I think you probably could go back to early episodes and, and there's probably episodes of me going, I don't understand why people need this 4K. 1080p is perfectly fine. There's no television set out. And mind you, I literally just bought a 40-inch 4K uh, Roku TV. So now I'm like, yeah, yeah. Thank, thank goodness that, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm never called on these things, you know, but. 
I should I should look for old tweets from you and then use them against you. Oh God, no! <laughs> I uh, yeah no. Uh, I was just having that conversation with somebody, and I'm like, you know, thank Lord in my like weird atheist like kind of like jerk days. I'm like, yeah, thank God the internet didn't exist. <laughs> indeed, indeed. I you know I, I look I hear all these uh, conversations about you know do. You, do you wish you had the kind of internet that, or whatever, the, the sort of permeance or uh, pervasiveness of social media back when you were a kid? I'm thankful. I'm so thankful that just didn't exist back when I was a kid because I did so many stupid things, and I'm glad they're not immortalized in internet forever. Um, you know, in my sort of, I don't know if you saw my golden age commentary, but I did mention Nikon and my kind of not necessarily criticism with them but you know in sort of comparing them with the different manufacturers you know canon and sony you know that are each sort of innovating right in their own way yeah. i i you know pose obviously the question is like what is nikon really doing you know the, the one thing i know they're doing right and you mentioned it is they have you know almost a slavish sort of support for legacy you know they support yeah. legacy lenses they support legacy batteries you know if you're a diehard nikon user you know that going forward with new bodies you'll be able to use your old glass and etc cetera, etc cetera. but beyond that where has nikon innovated in the space and where would you like to see them innovate and kind of obviously counteract or compete with sony and canon in terms of what they're you know, what do you want to see with the next generation of, of Nikon? What can Nikon do to sort of re-earn market share, mind share? Yeah, I mean, I mean, one thing I think everyone always have to has to remember. I mean, F Stoppers just published a specifically click, clickbait um, article that like went into like basically. I think the 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 header was like Nikon shouldn't exist. Nikon should just give up um, and just like close up shop. This is you know I'm like kind of in response to like what was it? Uh, uh, was was Olympus the latest one? I feel like there was at least another company that gave up. Olympus opening. left the digital imaging market. That's yeah. what I think I... Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, okay, I just thought there was a... Anyway, but um, I can't think of what it would have been. But, um, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I have... That is, a, that is a big problem. I mean, one of the problems, like, um, that I found as well is that since their commitment to innovation when it comes to, like, turning their DSLRs into, you know, more video bodies, which is what all the other companies are starting to do more and more, yeah. is the fact that you can see the, my biggest problem has been the surrounding world of like, like buying cages, buying all these different specific things that you do for doing video work, professional video work, doesn't exist in the, in, in the same way as much as like Sony. Like if I need to find any little tiny thing that I possibly might need for to use video on uh, on a Sony, it, it exists. Like three right. a dozen different companies make it. You can find a Chinese knockoff on it for whatever. But like you know, I mean, like this random thing. Like I needed to. I, I'm probably gonna buy a cage for my for my Z6. And one of the big things I'm like I just need is like there's a certain point the uh, the H I need the HDMI the mini HDMI out. I need a um, uh, a holder. So because I, I was doing a bunch of video work when I was working in the White House, and one of the biggest problem was is if anyone moved or yanked that uh, HDMI cable, mm -hmm. it 
immediately moved. Like it just moves so it moves so easily, and also it's a really. Uh, I think uh, one of our you know friends uh, CS. I think he he actually ended up ha- having a problem where his uh, his out got damaged. Oh no! And so basically the camera became completely pointless for a while. Wow. Uh, for his for his purposes yeah. for that specific job purposes because I I took over the job that he was doing anyway. Long story, mm-hmm. but um, it's the um, it, it's just it's since they're they've never been really good at um, it seems talking about it and talking what their innovations are going to be and like what their commitment is in the same way that at least I feel like Sony, like I feel like Sony and even Canon, um, have, I know what, I know that they're committed to this world. And I mean, like, obviously they are, I mean, obviously Canon is, you know, I mean, there's, there's, uh, they took, they took their long (laughs) time getting around to doing it when it comes to the mirrorless, they came out with that, that first gen of mirrorless, which I mean, I guess Nikon did that too with that J camera that I is still perplexed on what the point of that camera was. You didn't you have it? Yeah, their first attempt at mirrorless, like their mirrorless yeah, point yeah, and yeah. shoot interchangeable lens micro four third yeah. camera. Yeah, I had that yeah, yeah. <laughs> for all of a year. Uh, it was it was well, yeah, I mean, no, it, yeah. I don't know. I I used it a few times, but I was like, mm, this is this is what we we're using now. I mean, nah. When you when you've used a Panasonic and they're they're beautiful mirrorless cameras, you know despite their sensor size, uh, and I'm still looking forward to the GH6 whenever that comes out. I am a little bit you know regretful partially because I did sell almost every single one of my lenses in order to earn you know gain money to buy the the 5D or the R5. Uh, so I, I'll if 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 Panasonic like next week announces the GH6 and it's the next coming of camera gear that can do everything that all the other camera manufacturers can do but better i will feel a little bit of a sting of regret by selling all my glass but i know that you know even if if, even if panasonic does create the best thing since sliced bread compared to the other guys if they still continue to use their focus system their sort of contrast detect focus system it's still going to be inferior to what canon and even sony are doing with their phase detect and dual pixel whatever you know i mean yeah. that's the one thing I'm, I'm so looking forward to in terms of going back to canon is their eye autofocus it's just been you know i've been seeing all the reviews and watching every single person's video and they say it's like you know it's 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 Im- unbelievable how good it is so that's mm-hmm. what i'm really looking forward to even if i'm not using all the video features because the camera overheats uh i'm still going to be extremely excited to use the photo features and that eye autofocus it's going to be like, again, you know, people consider it like cheating almost because it's so good. But that'll I mean, mean, that's I mean, that's that's like one of those things that like I it, it has been very interesting. I find that I very rarely use my like I have, you know, I, I have my D750 and I still it, it hang, I usually it basically it ends up being a lens holder. Um, right. it, 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 it's like a, you know, actually not that expensive lens holder anymore. I think you can get a used one for like $400. Um, but, um, it ends up just being that because everything is so much better and so much easier and so much quicker on, uh, on the Z6 on the mirrorless, um, and just being able to see thing, you know, uh, the low light is, is, is ridiculous. And, and so, you know, it, it's, it's, um, it has made everything just so much like I feel like I have to start like I've been looking at my still work because basically my still work is has been comprised mainly of uh, 
screen grabs from my, or you know, the front, you know, cat uh, frame captures from my video, and I've been getting really lazy with that. And like because again, it's just so easy and uh, so easy to do both now that I haven't been focusing on one or the other, uh-huh. which is a problem. Um, but but it is it it's yeah. I I I, I, I kind of wish this you know going back to the like the internet thing where I was like. I, man, I wish that I, uh, when I first started photography, <laughs> that I could have just walked right into this, like walked into these cameras. Uh-huh. That would be, it would be so, so amazing. <laughs> On the other hand, I wouldn't, you know, when everything goes wrong, I wouldn't know how to, um, you know, I wouldn't know how to pick an aperture and do things like that. Like, because, you know, what, you know, I, I, I keep my cameras on, on completely on manual. Yeah. And you oh, manual focus manual as well, focus, but but manual aperture and, okay. and ISO and everything like that, and um, and and uh, like because I just you know it's like long you know working in film long enough you end up knowing you know you know end up knowing what you can look at a scene and you know what it you know what know what you need to do. Yeah. Um, but if I didn't grow up on that, you know, it would be anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I hear you, man. I, I mean, I'm the same way, but. I've sort of, I always show an aperture priority myself. I'll switch to manual when necessary, but typically I can get the job done. You know, I'm looking for that, you know, shallow dip the field in 90% of my shots anyways. So it's like aperture priority works for me. And then I just kind of let the camera do its business, uh, especially now with, you know, ISOs being so incredibly flexible and, you know, image quality. I remember back, you know, my first digital cameras, if you went above like 800, it was a snow field. But nowadays, I mean, especially with the A7S III, that is a real magical camera. And in terms of what it can do up to, you know, 16,000, I believe, is still extremely usable. Um, and that's one of the reasons I would add that to my collection is sort of my low light camera of choice. Um, and really just like the video, 4K video camera you need, that's the one you want to get, not the R5 or really much else out there. It's it's the one to get. Um that's been that. That's been the really disappointing thing about the the Z5 is that they got rid of um, uh, some of the they got rid of some of the video features. Really? Uh, because I was just gonna. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh yeah, it's like their lower end model. So you know. Yeah, it's their lower end model. I mean, so it makes sense. I mean, it's cheaper. Yeah, it has dual card I, mean, I, I I always buy everything used, so um, it's not like you know, it's not. Uh, it's not too surprised. It's not like a, a, a feature for me is the fact that it's, uh, I think, 1400 bucks or something like that uh, new just for the body. Um, and maybe the adapter comes with. I forget what the sales are right at the moment. But yeah. um, you can get a used Z6 right now for 14, 1500 bucks. And, and so I don't really for, per, personally, I don't understand like that other than the battery. And then the I think that you can run you can basically uh, keep it charged. So you have like a power power supply and so you can keep going which is something that for like longer video work i actually like i'm really looking forward to the next z the next z6 or the z7 or whatever model that so i can do that because that's one of the biggest limitations of of doing like if you're going to do i mean i haven't had to do it but a campaign event and that sort of thing where it's an hour and a half of people talking like you have to basically like assume make a decision on when you're going to drop out a battery and change it in because even with the battery grip which has been one of the biggest uh complaints uh just too bad travis is on this uh mm-hmm. because i'm complaining about nikon so much um but uh is the fact that uh the battery uh, the the battery grip from nikon does not flow it stops runs out of a battery and then you go to the next one. Oh wow which is pointless to me yeah. it just adds like oh cool 
I'm adding an extra, you know, half of a camera weight to to the camera now. It's the whole point of the uh, which the whole point of this camera was to, you know, to go lighter. And uh, but yeah, no, um, I, I am really I, I if I had the extra money to just play around, the one camera I actually would really consider getting from Nikon is the Z50. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's their crop sensor mirrorless mm-hmm. uh, because it is um, I don't know about considerably smaller, but it is smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, and and also then it, but it has I think it has almost all the same features as the Z6 um, and just with a crop sensor. And, you know, I mean, I don't know why I, I, I don't know. I can't imagine switching back to shooting a crop sensor. But I also don't know why I'm shooting mo- 99% of what, I, what I'm shooting. I don't think it would make a damn bit of difference. I mean, maybe the low light type of thing and being able to pull out stuff, that sort of thing. But I don't think that much, you know, like I, I don't think it's so good. I mean, with the video, it's actually like the video um, on, the, on the Nikon is like actually a problem <laughs> because I'm trying to edit it in on my uh, now like three-year-old uh, laptop or three or four year old laptop uh, it's kind of an issue um, but but yeah so you know our older or longer listened uh, longer listened fans of the show hearing you talk about shooting on a crop sensor would call that <laughs> sacrilege sacrilege Zach how many times have I seen this comparison when people you like what oh okay we weren't talking about crop sensor. We were talking about Micro Four Third, which is like you know, the size of an LSD stamp. Like it's not that big versus you know, um, but yeah. Okay. Okay. Know. Okay, Zach. Okay, Zach. <laughs> I literally just saw a photo of uh, of one a couple days ago, and so. I don't know, but anyway. No. Yeah. But anyways, um, no. That's that's interesting <laughs> that you kind of bring that up. Yeah. It's. I mean, again, that was one of the biggest sort of advantages to you know the Micro Four Thirds line is their smaller size, and obviously I have the twenty four to one hundred five uh, millimeter lens. I did get my RF lens uh, first, obviously because I'm still waiting for the camera to get here. Um, so I've got that camera lens, and it's uh, it's not as bad, I think, as the old EF series glass in terms of its weight yeah. you know i think when they, they re-engineered obviously the the mount they also re-engineered the weight distribution how, how big so there's the the meaty lenses you know but it doesn't feel as bad as the old series but it'll be interesting to go back to that full frame large size glass and kit and whatnot um you're not um you you said you weren't getting the adapter right yeah i don't have any i don't really i have one old Canon lens, a 50 millimeter. I mean, just, I mean like for me, it, it really comes down to um, the wide range. Immediately getting the adapter is like you have access to 30 years worth of lenses that you can you can put on there. And also the bigger thing, too, is so much cheaper, <laughs> so much. Cheaper. Right. Yeah, I don't um, I mean, so. you know, I, I've heard of people say that the lenses work just as well, you know, with the adapter, the old lenses, but I've also seen some tests that show the autofocus not being as fast with the older glass. Um, and if that wasn't a need for me, then I could see that being something I would look into. But I think with, you know, for me personally, a new system, I want to use the glass that's intended for the system, the native mount. I don't want to put something in between there. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, you know, I'm looking for used RF glass, which is still extremely expensive. 
like $2,000 for a used lens. I'm like, eh. But I don't need all that glass right now. I'm going to be fine with the 24 to 105. And I chose the 24 to 105 because of it. It's cheaper. Generally, it's been out for longer. You can get you better used deals. Um, and it's it's more versatile than like the 28 to 70. But if I was building the trifecta or the holy trinity, I would go with the, you know, the 28 to 70, the 15 to 35, and the 70 to 200. And actually, I actually produced a video uh, yesterday, and I tested this new overhead camera rig I have to try and do like unboxings and stuff. And I tested the, I just tested it with playing with around with the lens and talking about my thoughts about why that is. So uh, I've thrown that up on our Patreon page, and I'll eventually uh, make it free and available to everybody later on this week. So, you know, if you care about what I think and why I choose my lenses, there you go. I don't know, what would you do, or, you know, if you were starting with a new system, you know, you had to start completely fresh from scratch, what would be your first lens that you would buy for a new system? You know, um, I, for so long, uh, because I could never afford the, you know, the photojournalist lens, the 24 to 72.8, and, I, I always shot with I always shot with a 17 to 35 and uh, 17 to 35 to 8 or the when I had a crop sensor camera, uh, Tokina has a uh, still fantastic uh, 11 to 17 to 2 8, um, which is built like a tank. And anyway, you can go back to previous episodes and I probably at least every other episode talks pra- talk praises about that lens. And still wish I could have it. I need like a um, soundboard of previous quotes you've said, Zach. <laughs> yeah, like, like a button for a rant, a button story. for I, I go four thirds. stories, though, at least. And what I, like, as opposed to, well, when I was, uh, of course, you know, it's being the anniversary, it was like when I was at Charlottesville. Yeah. Uh, but, um, but, or Occupy Wall Street is more, more of the stories. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, is, uh, um, I, I never really dug the uh 24 to 70 whatever like it just didn't like i liked wider i liked getting in closer and i just happened to uh my 17 to 35 stopped working on uh the mirrorless camera which supposedly it's not even supposed to work but it it was working um and i think something broke um and it doesn't connect correctly so i haven't been able to use my 17 to 35 for most of the work that i do so i finally broke down and bought like basically one of the older versions of the 24 to 70 um and like the you know professional level for uh, a nikon and um oh my god it is not only for video purposes it is i i can't i can't imagine using anything else um i did have a 24 to i think it was a 24 to 120 uh nikon it's like the kit it's the kit lens basically that comes with the z6 um and that was great. It was an F4 throughout. Um, I didn't like the build, though, um, because it's like a step down on the build quality. Um, still fantastic. Amazing for 500 bucks. But I also then just bought a used, I bought the used 24 to 70 to 8 um, used, and it was like 550 or 600 bucks or something um, from my, either, I think I actually bought it from Robert's camera um, in Illinois, Indiana. Um which actually is a fantastic. Like I, I've just been trying trying those out, and uh, because I think there's something availability, and they've actually been really, really, really good. Outside of like the B and H and Adorama, you know, duo. Um, but I would probably the first lens would, would be the 24 to 70 to 8. I would love to get the VR. I can't even imagine how much better that would that is. Um, and then get a 70 to 200 to 8. And I basically that's all that I shoot with. I have a 30. Excuse me. I have my. Uh, 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 35 millimeter uh, 1.4 from Sigma, uh, which I still love, but 
the low light is on on the mirrorless camera is so amazing that I don't find that I need it in almost any scenario. And it being in this in in mainly what I shoot, um, like I need I need to be able to have some range. I, I and especially during in the pandemic, yeah. Like you can't you know, like <laughs> this has like been one of the, big, the biggest thing is like I think it's everyone's been going nuts because like I know how many how many photographers love to get up close and like you know get that like mm-hmm. just pro- and i'm like yeah no i don't, I don't <laughs> see as many people doing yeah. that anymore um i shoot i shoot most of my if i'm going to shoot a portrait of somebody i try to shoot with my 7200 um just gets you know it gets the better uh compression in the background and everything like that and um but you know just in general like that's what i've been shooting that with uh, you know i don't like how the portraits look in 24 to 70 as much um i think it's just i don't know it doesn't have the look that i like um i either want wider or farther away like one or the other um but um but yeah those, those two lenses uh those two lenses and probably a i don't know i don't know if i, I don't know what kind of one four i would carry around um but some either a 50 one four or a um maybe probably an 85 one four i i if my if my sigma wasn't so knocked around um, I would probably sell it and, uh, I mean, it works perfectly fine, but it, it's had a couple drops and things yeah. like that. Um, like all my gear has, of course, <laughs> um, or been hit by, by or have been hit by baton. Hit by batons. I mean, well, uh, the, I, I actually, I mean, one thing I will say is like, I am damn amazed. I had a, I had a really bad drop, um, uh, a couple months ago with the, the Z six. And I was like, okay, it's, it's definitely gone. Like, because it doesn't feel like it. It feels solid, but it doesn't have like the bulk that like even the 750 or the the other DSLRs have. And I thought I'm like it was 100% gone. No, it was perfectly fine. <laughs> like literally, is no problems whatsoever. Um, but yeah, those those two lenses and probably uh, a one four some kind would definitely be my kit. I would absolutely love to get the mirrorless 7200 um, that Nikon just came out with, but it's like I think it's 3300 dollars. Yeah. Um, and you know, like I, I, I you can buy a you can buy a 7200 vr1 or vr2 even probably a vr2 these days for under a thousand dollars and i just i I can't i i there's no scenario where i can justify the compare uh the price difference like it can't be that good (laughs) it can't be twenty three hundred dollars more good yeah you know if i were going if i knew for a fact i was going to build out my kit to the full trifecta and i was going to buy more lenses and i was going to use that right now to do photojournalism on the street and i'm going to go out and shoot a protest or shoot an event or something like tomorrow yeah absolutely i would i would have went with the 28 to 70 f2 as my first lens with the knowledge that okay i'm going to build out the rest of my kit you know very soon but knowing that i won't build out my kit for who knows when years potentially 24 to 105 does what I need to do. It gets me the range, and you're not losing too much with regard to stoppage. And that's F4 throughout? It is F4, yeah. yeah. They make a cheaper version, which is like an F4 to F7. I'm like, I'm not going anywhere near that. Yeah. They also make a, a 24 to, I think, 200-something, you know, 240 or something like that. Yeah. It's a, it's a yeah. cheap garbage plastic lens that I would not recommend purchasing unless you do not care about what your photographs look like. Because the the reviews I've seen on that have been, yeah, this this is just hot trash. So uh, I would recommend again twenty four to one hundred five, very inexpensive lens nowadays. Get very cheap and it's it's great quality. It has that 
you can do the dual motor, you know, um, stabilization, lens stabilization, you get like eight stops. So, you know, you're getting the same equivalent capability of all the more expensive glass in a less expensive um, housing. You know, I want to talk to you about your, you said the third anniversary of Charlottesville. You know, you said obviously before the show that, you know, it'll affect you and you're going to stay off the internet. You know, what, what does it mean to be the third anniversary of this event? What does that mean, Charlottesville, mean to you looking back on it, reflecting on what you went on, went through and what you, you documented and what people, you know, obviously the other people went through, the ones who were, you know, like, you know, the... I apologize. I don't remember his name, but of course, the man who was you know beaten. Uh, DeAndre the, Harris. Yeah. yeah. yeah thank you. Um, what What does it mean for you? And and have you caught up with those people? You know, what's going on there? Uh, I mean, to just start. I mean, uh, DeAndre Harris has uh, uh, done like a total of two interviews since. I think he did an interview with Esquire, and I think I haven't. Uh, like, I still am theoretically working on a film. Um, haven't been able to get the funding together and everything like that. Um, and uh but like eventually i'll reach out to him and try to interview him and follow up with him um but he's he's pretty much uh he got so many death threats and so many everything that he um he had to uh leave the town uh and he left his job he was a teaching assistant um uh he's as far as i can tell based on the interviews he's doing fine now um uh washington post had a really good uh piece on uh piece on him uh, interview with them and kind of like catching up with him about like how he's doing and what the effect has been and like um and uh <laughs> um but yeah no i mean it, it's uh i i think i've probably told this a million times but i mean like charlottesville was supposed to be the uh the last I, I was actually going to quit photojournalism uh as a as like a job job as like you know what i you know it's like as the only thing i do um and i'm going to try to find like you know a real job somewhere um uh not doing you know what what like really what i really love to do which is you know uh document things and uh and so that was literally it like that was the last assignment i was going to cover i was probably going to sell some of my gear because i was like dead broke and just kind of uh exhausted from trying to uh cover things because uh, i was covering so much of the same thing uh every time it was just like protest after protest and and like while that's why I still I, I still like to cover um it's it like i don't know I mean, if anyone remembers way back when in 2016 and early 2017 there was you know just big protest rally after big protest rally and nothing really ever came anything the march for science the women's march everything like that basically zero like a handful of people from the women's march you know became you know entered congress and things like that so i mean like there's some level of change but like it didn't do anything uh to an extent and so like as a person who is uh, I'm sure everybody who listens uh, and remembers me like an activist at heart uh, when it comes to, you know, I mean, like I'm more than just, you know, uh, a, just a straight journalist and everything like that. Uh, it that Charlottesville and what my work and other my colleagues work who are there as well. And like because there's a big group of us that kind of like, you know, obviously kept our back, you know. Uh, usually traveling groups <laughs> so that we keep each other safe and everything like that. And, you know, uh, um, but it's, uh, it changed what I thought I, uh, my work could do um, as a photos, you know, I mean, like beforehand, you know, my photos would be like, Oh, you know, 
you know, get a couple dozens of likes on Instagram and people go, oh, it's so nice. Oh, yeah, it's so nice to see so many people together and rallying and things like that. And now, you know, I mean, like my photos from Charlottesville have had uh, four people, uh, four people arrested, a couple other people uh, doxxed that they're trying, still trying to find. There's at least one person that was like, is I don't know if he's technically actually on the run because I, there's no like warrant out for him or anything like that. Um, but, you know, it had. I got Nazis in prison. Like that's, that's cool. <laughs> like that's, I don't usually like, I don't usually quantify things like that. Like if my photos of like, you know, any literally almost anything else, like a car accident or whatever, like a, a just somebody getting into a fight. If that, if my photos got somebody in prison, I wouldn't necessarily feel one way or the other about it. Uh, but you know, these are reprehensible people and I'm, I'm okay with making that statement. Um, but, uh, but also now my photos are like, uh, I know researchers use my photos to, um, you know, talk about, uh, talk about the different, uh, uh, white supremacist groups and, 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 and different, uh, far right extremist groups that are out there. Um, like been cited a bunch of times, uh, in, in, in publications and, you know, I mean, like just, everyone has used those photos as like kind of illustrative thing, which is actually something that's a little bit annoying. Uh, there's a photo that I posted on Instagram, um, that of, uh, a Tiki torch March. It was actually used in an ad campaign on MSNBC. Uh, I made a whopping like $45 from that. Um, <laughs> just, I always like to add that because it's like, if anyone who thinks that I like, I'm banking money somehow on, on other, you know, on this sort of thing. And it's just like, yeah, it's not really happening. Um, but you know, I mean, it, it's, I, I checked on my I, uh, my wire service is Nerfoto, um, and they actually now compile like what's your most popular photos and things like that. And that's my most popular photo. This photo of a it's a shot down the middle of a bunch of people uh, just about starting to march uh, the, the tiki torch, um, and they're all yelling. In fact, uh, one or two of them are throwing up a Sig Heil, um, you know, uh, salute, and uh, and like obviously I understand why that is, and I'm like I actually like I, I don't have any. I, I don't think that I, I could probably pull it, but I'm like, I'm, I'm tired. I'm actually kind of tired of a seeing the photo because there's other photos that could be used, but also it's used now as a photo to like, just talk about the far right. And it's like that ugh, it's the, the far right is more dynamic than I'm like, I'm def not defending the far right, but like it's more dynamic than a bunch of Tiki torch idiots. I mean, and, th and that's one of the problems is, is that, you know, uh, I mean, this is the thing. I'm actually working on a piece right now connecting um, kind of the intellectual far right to the people in the streets, um, people, you know, people that that get into fights and carry Tiki torch marches and things like that. And we've had I, I and I as I said, said in the Instagram post as well, where I was just like, it's been three years. Nothing has changed. We have one presidential candidate who is using Charlottesville imagery um, Joe Biden, he's using uh, Charlottesville imagery in his in his first opening campaign. He has had no promises to change anything, to confront white supremacy. His only thing is to get rid of Donald Trump, and supposedly somehow that's going to fix things. And then there's Donald Trump, who says that there's good people uh, that were there. So I mean, it's it's uh, um, that's that's what it's kind of a depressing like. The first year, there's memorials and that sort of thing, and thing, and they actually tried to do a a, a, a unite the right two, which was uh, happily a f very failed adventure. Only 12 people showed up in Washington D.C. and like 5,000 people counter protested them, so that was actually nice. Uh, but like, I assume there's going to be quiet memorials um, uh, in Charlottesville, and uh, and that's really all that's probably going to happen. I'm sure they'll talk about it um, on you know on on the cable channels. 
Um, but yeah, uh, I mean, it changed, it obviously changed my life. Um, I now cover the far right pretty much every, everything I do. And the far right now comes in so many weird, uh, ways. I mean, like covering, I covered a, uh, blue lives matter, uh, or back, it was actually a back, back the blue, uh, rally in Albany, New York. Um, and the Oath Keepers, which is a uh, SBLC, Southern Poverty Law Center designated extremist group, uh, was the MC, what, member was the the MC of the event, and they were holding up the sign that said "Hold the line" with the blue line across it and things like that. And they were just and, and then a uh, a group called uh, the the head of a group called the um, Constitutional uh, Sheriffs and Peace Officers of America, which is basically a group that believes that the sheriff. Uh, the local county sheriff is the final and be, be all of the constitution and gets to decide on whether laws are constitutional or not. Um, yeah, it was an interesting, I, I also got into, I usually don't get into arguments with people, but I got into a full fledged argument with them, with that guy. Um, but, uh, it's also, they also with the Oath Keepers and, and also they're, um, definitely connected to the, the extremist right, um, uh, in a very uncomfortable way, the idea that law enforcement officials are, are connected uh, to them. I mean, like they're friends with the Oath Keepers. Um, the guy actually cited the Oath Keepers as the inspiration for him si- starting the group. Um, but, uh, and so it, it's been amazing. I mean, cover the anti-mask, cover the, all these anti-mask rallies that have been happening across, you know, in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania and in Syracuse and all these places. And uh, Proud Boys, which is another, it is a, a Western chauvinist uh, uh, gang um, that is also an extremist group. And I've witnessed them get into dozens of fights over the years. And uh, they they were prominent at these anti-mask rallies. And so it's it's been it's been three years of watching. And it's always been, and this is something I always want to emphasize is like the, this, these groups and that sort of thing have been, have been around for years. Um, I mean, like I said, Oath Keeper has been around. They founded conveniently in 2009. Um, just, you know, it's weird that they suddenly have a problem with constitutional oversight when a black president is uh, elected, but not when George Bush was around. <laughs> um, but uh, these people, uh, you've been around for, you know, for uh, over a decade and all these groups are around. And I think that people are finally noticing, which is, you know, at least, noticing that it's not just the clan, you know, I mean, like, it's just not these guys in white robes that burn crosses is that it's pervasive in our society. And like, that's, that's been the only thing that's been kind of keeping me, uh, working, uh, at all because the, the money is certainly not there. And, uh, especially in the middle of the pandemic when events aren't happening and things like that. So, uh, which has been, you know, a big hit, um, to me being able to continue doing work and things like that. Um, you know, I did get the I did get uh, the PPP loan, which was great. Uh, I got a whopping six hundred dollars uh, from from the gov- government when it comes to the loan. Now four hundred dollars. What's that? Now it'll be four hundred dollars or two hundred dollars yeah, well, or whatever no, 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 it is. The loan, the loan, uh, the small business loan. Oh, okay, okay. Um, no, that yeah, no. When like you know, uh, Ruth Chris Steakhouse got twenty million dollars, I got six hundred bucks. I mean, obviously they whatever bigger company, but it's always like what my value uh over three months of like equivalent yeah it's it's, yeah (laughs) you know i've heard a lot of photojournalist stories about that but it is nice that finally 
you know, under this, um, I mean, shouldn't say it's nice, but I mean, like at least under this pandemic, um, people have started like the conversation. Uber Uber drivers just got recognized as uh, employee. They have to be considered oh, employees. Really? Wow. Um, and at least in California. Um, and so you have things like, oh, my God, finally, freelancers, um, which, you know, most of the photojournalism community these days are, um, yeah. are finally being considered, you know, something other than just you know, I don't know, wanderers of, of the countryside that somehow make money, but don't aren't either. We're not employees and we're also not, you know, our own business. Right. And so like it's these it's yeah. I mean, at least we got that going for us uh, in the middle of uh, a global pandemic. So, yeah. Yeah. And according to a majority of corporations, you don't deserve to be paid for your work. And if you do, you get paid <laughs> maybe 90 days, 120 days. What's you yeah. know, whatever they're going whenever they get around to it, you know. You can survive for that long without money. So, um, Verizon though still expects me to pay my uh, cell phone every every month, and my credit cards still expect me to do it th- every thirty days. It's weird that that uh, those same companies, if they were to buy my photos, would somehow expect it okay that they pay me and you know sixty to ninety net or whatever. Um, or they pay you an exposure. They'd be like, listen. <laughs> we will we will highlight we will put your name at the bottom of this that'll get you so much business yeah oh my God. yeah no 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 I've, I've i've had that a couple times already i've actually i've actually some of my older work i've actually been like because uh, uh, i work with a bunch of i work with some writers that write specifically write about and investigate uh like the far right and i've just been finally i've just been like you know what? Like, as opposed to you using some terrible stock image of <laughs> like a Nazi or something like that, because that's what your editor is. Here's two photos. Like, I know it's a mortal sin and everything like that, but I'm like, look, and I know the Daily Coast is never going to buy photos right. in a million years. Yeah. But they will pull an image off of Wiki, Wiki, uh, you know, or whatever. Um, and I'm just like, oh no, please, just use my photos because at least then, then they they make sense. <laughs> like, and maybe I'll get some buzz back or something. Um, but you know, but that's where we're all you know at. I'm I'm still on an unemployment, so yeah. it's uh, at least I got that going for me. Um, but yeah. <laughs> well, I wish you the best of luck, and hopefully, you know, things will turn around in this pandemic. Will turn around, but you know, you mentioned obviously that this Charlottesville kind of got you re re-energized, right, in terms of your profession. Yeah. And, you know, we, we kind of talked about it, but in the past, and I know you, you said you don't get too much money from your imagery there, but obviously I think, you know, the, the fame, not fame, but I mean, the recognition that that image got, cause it was like one of the top 100 lists of many places yeah, we talked yeah. about it. Um, you know, you obviously are working with a lawyer to, you know, track down people who use the image without paying you rights and stuff yeah. and copyright yeah. infringement. Has that helped out? I mean, or is that or is that just? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I, I wouldn't if it wasn't for uh, um, Leibowitz, uh, my my copyright attorney, um, uh, it wouldn't I, I wouldn't be doing I definitely wouldn't be doing this. Um, I'm like, I would I'd be still I'd be still I'm not going to stop. Like, at, like before Charlottesville, it was like, I, this is, I need, just need to stop. I need to either go into a different field of journalism and, and start writing and doing research and stuff like that again, which is, you know, how I started as a journalist. Um, photo photography was always like, oh, I know how to do that, but like, it's not like what I do. Um, and I was just kind of, kind of like try to go back into that world and get like a, you know, a real job. <laughs> um, but, uh, but like, if it wasn't for the copyright, um, lawsuits, uh, unfortunately, and, and I know that that's, that's the way it, I'm not the only one. Yeah. Um, a lot of, a lot of photojournalists who I know who are like, I made more money last year from copyright lawsuits than I did from work. 
um, which is always insane because it, like all of these site, all of these places that steal the work and do whatever, like some every once in a while, it's a misunderstanding and it's a, you know, it's like, oh, because, you know, so many people that are working in a lot of the churn and burn kind of websites that exist, news websites that are out there. A lot of these people are just copy, like co- just content writers. They're not really, they're not journalists or whatever. They just know how to write and take info from other people's work and then process it into a more digestible article and then, you know, go for it, you know, like, um, and you know, like a lot of daily coasts, I mean, I'm like not citing, I don't know why I'm citing them, but I mean, like a lot of that stuff is like, it's just taking like blogging was back in the day, you know, like when we originally thought of blogging back in like the late nineties, early two thousands, it was just like, it was very, very few people actually did original work. It's just, uh, so it ends up being like, nobody knows people still to this day think that you can, if a photo is on the internet, you can just grab it and use it. Um, or if they have the, you know, it's like, I still think about the argument I had with one, one, um, one person who was very clearly an intelligent person, um, because he wrote, he wrote an article about, about a subject and he's like, no, this is, I, I can use your photo because it's fair use. And it was just like, no, you're literally using it as an illustrative point. Like it, you're literally using it in an editorial, you know, <laughs> way you should buy it. Um, but it was a very long argument and like I had a threatened lawsuit and finally like it was before I had a copyright attorney. So I didn't know, I didn't know what to do. Um, and so it was literally just like, I don't want my photo used it by this guy's site because well, um, but it's, uh, this is, I think the state we're in. And, and one of the big problems too, is that all the courts have so many of the courts in, in the pandemic has been, have been closed or very, very delayed. And, and obviously copyright lawsuits aren't the priority understandably, yeah. um, of what, of what the courts are opening, you know I mean? Cause I mean, you have people literally either sitting in jail in the middle of a pandemic, which is its own dangers yeah. or whatever, but it's, it's understandably not a priority. And so like it has been, you know, I have, I think four or five cases right now that are just sitting and waiting. And, um, and that's one of those things where it's always like, I, I, it's not, it's not a part of my income that I consider, um, Ever like it's not like oh I know I'm gonna get this one right. it's not like my my wire service every quarter I get a couple hundred bucks from them yeah uh, for the res- you know tiny little residuals and things like that that I work and then you know like you're in streams of income and that sort of thing it's not something I consider at all it's always a oh cool I get to pay off this pay some back on this credit card now <laughs> or or actually what I what I usually end up doing is oh cool I get to go cover this event. And in uh, the other side of the country or over in Europe or something like that and then blow the money on work that I haven't found a home for because I'm irresponsible um, and I would rather cover things than you know then uh, yeah but uh, but yeah no it's it's that sadly has been you know really the the big thing is that you know places um, you know between uh, some of the photos going, uh, uh, you know, some of my photos uh, being sold to the Associated Press. They still haven't paid me. Um, and uh, the um, and then some of the photos just being up on the wire service, which, you know, you make you make a decent amount of money over a period of time. But like every individual photo like Vice uses my photos all the time and they pay. I, I get like seven dollars, which is half of the fourteen dollars they paid the wires, you know, sort of thing. And so which I don't have to do anything more. So it's that, you know, income that passive was a passive income. Uh, that is kind of the only way you can, only way that a lot of people can think I should certainly be, 
I don't have to do anything at all, which is the biggest thing. Like I have my website and occasionally people will re uh, reach out to me and say, hey, I want, you know, want to buy these photos, which is which is always nice because obviously I, you know, they expect to be charged more than the wire service is going to buy, but they want work that hasn't been used 10,000 times. Like the, I think 11 photos that I uploaded from Charlottesville. Um, those are the only ones that are up on the wire service. And, um, and also just like sometimes like rights and stuff like that are, are difficult over thing. Like buying something up for a documentary is sometimes different than, you know, uh, buying it there. But, um, but it's, yeah um you know i mean like that's one of the big things it hasn't it has been life-changing in 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 a lot of ways obviously like for most people who are there um but you know it has been it has allowed me to do more work uh which is which is the thing that you know i don't have like my I bring up occupy wall street my my year you know my massive amount of coverage of wall, occupy wall street I think still to this day, I've made a total of $1,300 covering Occupy Wall Street, um, which was several months and included an arrest and <laughs> beating several times, lost equipment, you know, equipment was destroyed and things like that. Um, so actually, I probably negative money on it. <laughs> so actually, but um, I mean, I don't even think about how many cab rides. But I mean, you know, I mean, like at that point, I had a full time job. Yeah. And that wasn't the point that ma making the money. I, you know, most of it just went up on my Flickr page back then. because that's all I had. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, but like, this is the sort of thing that actually, like I had at least somewhat like, um, knowledge of, uh, of being able to like actually use this so that I can actually do more work. Uh, because I mean that at the end of the day, it's like, I always feel bad. Like, I mean, I think photojournalists should have, um, some thoughts about the fact that they're making money from not always, but like you know, in, in things like human tragedy. I mean, like at the end of the day, the only reason why anyone knows about or anyone cares about Charlottesville today is that unlike the thousand, literally like hundreds of other rallies that have happened that included massive numbers of white nationalists and white supremacist groups, uh, somebody was murdered. Heather Heyer was murdered. Yeah. Um, and, and dozens of other people were seriously injured. Some people, you know, lifelong, uh, um, injuries you know including De deandre harris is still um is still screwed up from that Jeez, um yeah. health wise and also obviously mentally um and you know and also most photojournalists most of the photojournalists that are there have some level of um you know pt like ptsd just from experiencing it and being and in, being inside of it you know obviously i was i was one of the lucky ones that weren't wasn't when the car when um, uh, Fields drove the car through uh, the crowd there, the protesters there, and also journalists there. Um, but, you know, there was about seven other times that, like, I very nearly got seriously injured. I have a photo that I, um, I'm trying to remember, I don't think I posted it. Um, I think I posted it on um, uh, Twitter. Um, but I have a photo where uh, one of the people that assaulted DeAndre Harris and who's now in jail threw a pool cue at my head. Uh, and uh which is why i wear a bump cap now <laughs> but um but uh um is so i mean like i very very much could have you know been seriously injured from that yeah. i just lucked out that you can actually see in the photo the pool cue is right here it's like flying past me it's a blur and um and it just flew past me and you can see his laughing face at it um when he when he did it um but uh this is a guy by the way that has killer on on his helmet. So, I mean, like he was, he was there for violence. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, but it's, it's, uh, um, 
it's a thing. I don't know. <laughs> I, I haven't talked about this in a while, like uh, you know. So it's, uh, uh, but yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's been like long term though. Like, and I and I, what I've talked to a lot, you know, a lot of people were there that, um, uh, it's still it even the people that weren't either physically affected or you know directly, but like you still have this long lingering. Um, you know, like I, I, I was usually fine in crowds, um, relatively. And now I, between that and a couple other protests that I had some near, uh, close calls with things. Um, now, like I, 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 I've never had a panic attack before, but I was actually in Switzerland last year at a, a, a massive, this like, I think like 20,000 people in the streets, uh, music festival, that was like a ongoing parade and it was a whole thing. And I was blocked in completely in a crowd and it was probably a hundred yards of solid bodies all around me. And like somebody started rushing, like almost like it was one of those, like I could see, you can see the layers of how a, uh, uh, a stampede and a trampling was going to end up happening. And I started having a panic attack from that. And like, I had to like, cause there's just no choice around me. Like somebody actually like asked if I was okay. At least I assume they asked if I was okay. Nobody around me was speaking English. Um, shocker, it's Switzerland. Um, but, uh, but so like, there's like little things like that that come up and like, just, just like second guessing every experience. I mean, like I still like, thanks, not just Charlottesville, but covering this world, like, I can't have a normal conversation with people like without like, Oh, they have tattoos and I start scanning things and start seeing what their tattoos are. Or if they have like symbols, it's just, you end up going into this like kind of paranoia. I don't know if paranoia is the right term because it's, I, I got a guy down the street from me that has a Confederate flag out on his street. I have to drive by every single day. Um, and, um, and just thinking about the fact that like, I was on a uh, I was on a um, Stormfront hit list, um, which Stormfront's a Nazi website, um, and I was one of the 100 Antifa that was at Charlottesville. <laughs> um, <laughs> since then, I actually would associate myself more. Back then, it was hilarious because I actually had gotten into a rant at Char at Charlottesville about anti-fascists, and so it was that. It's actually funny. I'm like, now I actually like I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. I I can see it. If they followed me on Twitter, they'd be like, yeah, he's Antifa. Um, but you know, Antifa, which stands for anti-fascist, and so yeah, I would hope that everyone is anti-fascist. Um, but I don't think it, I don't see it as a controversial thing. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, so, I mean, it's, 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 uh, like long-term, it really, it really kind of, um, messes you up, not just in the way that like, you know, like kind of normal PTSD, but I mean like, and I, I, I don't want to compare it to like my personal experience from, to like somebody in the armed forces that was in Iraq or something like that. But like the way that people talk about, like you see a bag that's on the, on the, on the side of the road. And people question what it like a soldier will question what it is um, if it's an IED or something like that. But like I end up questioning like immediately like, oh, is this person a Nazi? Is this person going to know who I am and recognize my face at this random rally in Ohio that I'm covering? And is this going to be the moment that somebody realizes, oh, you put my friend in jail, you help my your photos, put my friend in jail. This is going to be a thing. And so like. 
that's not something I ever had to worry about uh, when I was just covering like the women's march and, and things like that. Like, yeah, occasionally there'd be a protester that would have some problem with, you know, my work or something. You know, what I mean, like didn't like the way I portrayed in an article the protest or something like that, or you know, whatever. And like, and it would just be like it would be an argument for five seconds, and I'd walk away, and it wouldn't be a thing. Um, but now it's just a continual thing. And I, I think that's like for everyone. I mean, I'm like, it's, I, uh, everyone in Rhode I'm, I'm a straight white male, so I don't really have, this is new to me. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> like this, this experience of like, you know, having to question people around me, especially considering I live in a very rural area. This is a very, we have, we have hate groups that are organized within 20 miles of me, things like that. So I mean, like, I know that, uh, I know that they exist. Um, and I mean, like, and, and, you know, like the number of Confederate flags that are around is shockingly odd considering we're actually part of the, un, we were part of the underground railroad, like if you travel through here. And so we were never part of the Confederacy, but anyway, it's heritage, not hate. Um, but <laughs> Oh my gosh, that, that whole Confederate um, flag just like, <laughs> Thank you to the, you know, I appreciate the U.S. military, you know, for making a stand on the, you know, the flag. I wish, obviously, it had been done sooner, but again, it, you know, uh, I have to applaud our, our branches for, you know, you know, the services for doing that. I think it should be, I'm, I'm going to applaud Mississippi for finally doing it as well. Um, so perhaps maybe in another generation or so, we'll see the Confederate flag and its sort of uh, adoration and, and love for it go you know be maybe, more diminished but who knows who will allow the president allow the military which is i can't believe this is zach roberts here defending the arm of defending the dod um is the idea that like they're not allowed to change the names of bases that are and i know you can't get it but uh like they're allowed to change maybe they'll be allowed to change the names of bases they're named after literal traitors to this country <laughs> like it's just uh, just wild to me because it's like, oh my god, the military actually wants to do the right thing, and they're not allowed to. Um, so this is this is there's a lot of you know like more lefty circles or whatever. Like we're so confused and like in the fact that we're like we're on the side of the Marines. Hoorah! <laughs> Hoorah! Well, welcome Zach. Yes. Welcome to our Solidarity, side. Solidarity, brother. Solidarity. Ah, brother in arms. All right, Zach. Well, this was meant to be like a short little thing, but we've made it into a, a nice, long, full featured episode, which is great. Because, again, like I said. Did you miss having me on when I would talk? What's that? <laughs> like, there's never, there's no such thing as a short episode no. when Zach's on. Um, but <laughs> I, think you, I think you have the Guinness Book World Records for longest rants uh, on our program. So, but that, that's all, you know, we, we missed that with you, Zach. Haven't had that in a long time, so it's good. <laughs> a good ranty feeling. Uh, but, you know, like, as I mentioned before... Uh, 35 minutes on sensor size. I know, right? Somehow brought, brought Trump into it. And, uh, <laughs> but yeah. Anyway. Anyways. Uh, always good to bring that back. And like I said, I had some technical issues on the last episode. You will get that with this. You know, if you're listening, you get, you know, parts of last week or earlier this week along with this. So it'll be like... It'll be a weird episode if you're listening to it, but uh, again, no technical issues during this live stream, thankfully. We've, we've done it for an hour and 14 minutes here at this point, and uh, that was what, what you know, this was meant to do is just test that capability, because again, I had so many issues. I, like, literally, 
every single problem that could have gone wrong went wrong. Either it was an issue between the OBS and Skype, an issue with my internet dropping out, my Wi-Fi not working. Every single thing that could go wrong went wrong during that episode. And a lot of it was stuff that I had never experienced before or was out of my control. And a lot of that was due to the fact that I'm using my Apple MacBook, my from MacBook from 2014 to try and manage this show as opposed to my brand new computer, which is in the shop right now getting fixed for an issue. Um, so once that's back, we'll resume hopefully using OBS and everything will be right as rain. But anyways, uh, enough of that. Zach, where can people find out more about you and your work? Uh, my uh, portfolio site where you can see all my photos are uh, is uh, zdroberts.com. Um, I am starting up and doing most of my most of my work, my news work at visu.news, the V-I-S-U dot news. Yeah. Um, and that's where like I basically do like 5,000 word photo essays <laughs> that that only come out like three weeks after the event because it takes me so long to write them. The word versions of your rants? The text versions. <laughs> they're, they're not rants. They're 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 uh, usually. I'm trying to I'm trying to make it more like what I would actually publish. Um, uh, just because uh, you know, in the middle pen, no one's it's like buy and work and things like that. And so like I my my long term dream is to work for myself, so I don't have any editors and don't have to worry about um, you know people changing my work or doing anything like that. And you know, so uh, but yeah, yeah. No, you have your own Patreon. Trying to obviously. You do that to support yourself as well, and you do your podcast on Patreon as well, right? Yep, yep, yeah. It, uh, I'm going to be starting. Um, I have been saying this for like a year, but uh, I'll be starting a uh, podcast uh, called Isolated Incidents, which uh, focuses on uh, you know coverage of the far right uh, and interviews and kind of like a entry level to like, oh, who is Sheriff David Clark? Who is this person? And just talking to experts on the field. And then so you don't because I, I find that like there's only two kinds. Either you have mainstream media that doesn't have any comprehension and will just have literal white nationalists on TV to interview them about, you know, things, which is mind blowing. Or you have like esoteric like how don't you, you have to uh, the only way you can understand our podcast or our, our book or whatever is if you read, you know, 32 other sources first. And so I'm just going to try to like do a kind of. Here's a, you know, here's my learning process of going through and finding out who these people are and, uh, you know, uh, what, why you should, should know who these people are, I guess. It's okay, great. Cool. We'll look out for that whenever that comes around and make sure to let us know or, you know, write something about that on Around the Lens. We'll be happy to send dozens. There's dozens of us, Zach, who will come over to check out that podcast. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> That, the, that's the bad part of like you know find out you do like I the last piece I did uh, took me like three days of work because the video edit, I was video editing I was writing and 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 still it still work drove to a different state to cover the story and like the traffic it was like 300 people read this story <laughs> so <laughs> super fun super fun being your own publisher without advertising dollars or yeah. like a larger name attached to it yeah. as we all know Indeed, indeed. If you'd like to follow anything we're doing here at Around the Lens, go to AroundTheLens.com. You'll find links to all of our social media as well as our Patreon. You can support the show, get everything we do ahead of time and early, like my sort of uh, commentary on the lens and everything I'm doing. Um, you know, it's, again, it's funny you mentioned that you pull stills from 4K because that's the exact same argument I gave for the 8K, right? Is that you can pull stills from it and it's just yeah. higher resolution stills. So. Perhaps when Nikon comes out with their brand new 8K camera, the Z, 
6S or whatever, you'll be like, okay, great, AK it is. Jumping on the AK bandwagon. I think I'll wait for a while to start doing that. I mean, I mean, at least until the memory cards uh, price go down. Yeah. I mean, I I never thought I'd have a problem with uh, covering a three hour long event um, and running out of space uh, for 120 gigs. <laughs> I I just I covered an event that was two and a half hours long and somehow blew through 120 gigs worth of like because of 4K video and things like yeah. that. And it's just like it's wild to me that that that's I. Even a, even two years ago, I don't think I would have ever been like ah, 120 gigs. Yeah, welcome <laughs> yeah. to the world of 4K video. 8K is yeah. even worse. I bought a 512 gigabyte card, C, CF Express card for the Canon yeah. camera. I'm still waiting for that as well, and I think I can get like 25 minutes of 8K raw footage on that. So, <sighs> <laughs> what what are you using it though? I mean, this is like still like right now. It's still 8K like. Um, I don't think that I would shoot 8K, like even if I had it, yeah. um, because like I don't know, I I don't have the, I mean I don't have the computer to to deal with. It. I mean my my computer does not want to deal with 4K right now from a you know a relatively compressed format like uh, uh, the the Nikon has. And uh, but yeah, so uh, of course then you know give me a year and or two years from now and be like, well I don't know, I don't think I would use 16K. <laughs> That's just ridiculous. Um, <laughs> 32Ks? Come on. What do you need with all that? I mean, I, oh, my God. You can, I mean, I mean, a 32K is great, but, like, 60... I, I don't understand. You can already pull... You can already, like, take a video from, uh, you know, from two miles away <laughs> of an event and just pull in and crop and you're fine. But 64K is a little ridiculous. <laughs> well, I, I just... see the literal pores on people's faces from, five, from 20 feet away in 4K, but... Well, Zach, what I do is I just position the Canon satellite that I have in the air, you know, and that has a 256K sensor on it. So I just position that over the protest and I get the shots from there. It's fine. I crop in, you know, still keeps, still get a, a nice 12 megapixel shot from space. So, you know, that's that's the, the real use case scenario right there. Um, no, I mean, again, you know, with the AK, you're right. It is ridiculous if you're shooting raw. I don't think... Too many people need to shoot raw unless you're working like a cinema production type thing. But there is the all I 8K and then the like a sort of interframe 8K that, you know, take up less data. So I might, you know, if I might shoot all I, which gives you, I think, which is about, I think, doubles the amount of time you have for recording. And again, that's where something like, again, if I was going to a protest, if it, if it, were, if it weren't for the overheating issue, I could definitely see myself going to an event, a protest, going to a news gathering event and just shooting 8K and, and pulling my stills afterwards. But I mean, that's that's actually been like because like the last two events that I've covered, it was both 90 something degree days and really sunny. Um, and it's actually something I'm like, should I start like, should I paint my camera white? <laughs> like, well, because like it really I actually like in the middle of the final speech, my camera finally overheated. Oh, it finally wow. was like, OK, I have to shut I have to shut down yeah. uh, for a little bit. I'm like, and like there's no like i had to like then i had to switch over to my d750 which like i mean i still like the video 1080p video on you know on a full frame dslr is still ridiculously gorgeous yeah. but there is i mean there is there is also the problem where like i don't know i like the look i still like the look of 1080p better than i like the look of 4k um unedited which is you know all that news wise i'm not gonna i'm not i may do like a little color correction or a little light or something like that if it's really bad but i mean it's news work i'm not 
you know, if I'm doing a film or something like that, I would bring it down. I just, it's too sharp. Um, it's just too, um, it doesn't have a, it doesn't have like a cinema feel to it, uh, as much as, as much as like 1080p to me does, you know, in the same way that like, I don't know, like I've seen films that like, if they use like IMAX film, like wrong or, you know, in a different way, like, it's just like, there's just too much information. Like yeah. I want to see, I want it to look like a movie as opposed to, I don't know, like a news, bro- you know I mean? I, I want it to look a little more like a movie than a news broadcast, you know? Um, but yeah. But that's, you know, all problems you want to have, I guess, because you can always downgrade. That's that is the positive nature of it is that you can always bring it down a couple levels. Well, you know, I made the argument and you can kind of either say if it's valid or not, is that, you know, you shoot with 4K, right? You grab your stills and now you have the 4K video. You can package that up as a separate product and pitch that out to people. Right. Is that is that true? Is that how you're using your camera? And so I do everything. Um, That's how I do everything. I mean, it's it's because. you know, I mean, if you sell it, depending on what, depending on what you work with, different different or, uh, news companies, like certain companies will have at least demand that you don't sell to other sites. I mean, depending on what your contract is, you know, it, even if it's just a time thing, if it's not a copyright buy it or whatever. But I, I still have video that I can then use in my own work because I I often like obviously every everything everything I cover is that I upload the stills to my wire service, um, uh, Nerfoto. And then uh, the video I end up using for usually end up using for my own purpose. Um, I mean, I still end up using the stills because obviously I still have rights to use them on my own site. But like, I can also give that video and sell it to somebody else, and um, and so it's actually really. Um, I don't think that they, I don't think that any new sites I haven't seen any contracts or anything like that that have kind of caught on to that's a thing that happens, um, that can happen now with mirrorless cameras. Uh, but, and I'm sure it eventually will change for some of the more company companies that care more about, you know, no, this is our copyright. You know, we were buying the photo outright and things like that, but, uh, it'll, um, it's, it's like, I mean, inside, as I talked earlier, I mean, like in so many ways it's changed my work, it's changed the way I work, Yeah. but it also has allowed me because I mean, one thing, like one of the big problems that I've had, like trying to work on this documentary about the far right is that I was physically at some of these events. I witnessed them firsthand. I was only taking stills for the most part. Um, and so, yeah, I can use stills of the, of the, of, you know, the Tiki torch March, but in a, in a documentary, you want to use video and there's so much video out there. So I'm like, I have to now go and buy video of an event that I covered myself. And it's just, it's frustrating because it's like, not only is that thousands of dollars added to a price for a documentary, especially footage that is such a high, there's only, you know, there's only a dozen journalists that were covering it. Maybe a dozen journal. I don't even know if that many, um, but so like anyone can charge, huge amounts of money i mean most of these people are my friends so they're going to give me a decent rate but um at least they damn well should um but uh uh but especially considering some of them stayed on my uh stayed on the floor of my uh bar uh my uh hotel room but um it's uh um it's something that now i can cover an event and uh i can do both and um it i mean it certainly has made my still image work a lot more boring uh because i'm not obviously i'm worried about covering the scene in video form as opposed to getting that dynamic shot of the depth and things like that um and so it's probably done a really big dent in my in like photo sales and and usefulness of my photos long term um but 
having that being able to have both that either a I could sell later on too, especially 4k video I can probably it's a higher premium um, but also like being able to work on my own thing because I mean like long term um, especially especially in the pandemic and everything like that like long term like uh, I I see myself focusing more on documentary work as opposed to uh, like daily news work you know I mean I, I've never been a daily news work a photographer in the way that like I cover you know cover work every day I cover event big events like you know once a week or something like that um, and that's just and I, then I write something over well but I mean like being able to do both is my as certainly paid for uh, the camera uh, paid for the camera itself and also being able to um, uh, being able it, it's certainly going to be justification justification to buy whatever the next upgrade is um, and being able to have two cameras now that are able to do really gorgeous video work and and have all the capabilities that a mirrorless camera has over a DSLR. Um, now, if they can just any of these people can figure out changing the clip length, that's all. I care. <laughs> clip length? You mean like the, the clip length of the video? Um, like the twenty nine point point yeah, five nine. Well, that is no longer a law. That used to be a law, like a trade law or thing, and that's no longer a thing. So, like, Canon still having it on their R5 is kind of antithetical to, like, you don't have to do that, Canon. So, hopefully... Nikon, I mean, Nikon has it the, uh, uh, the Z, uh, Z5 as well. Um, oh, it's on the Z5? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, I have never understood whether, because I think that they're... I, again, I, 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 I've actually been really frustrated because even when I worked... Because I first heard that the law issue was when I, you know, when I worked at uh, B&H Photo Video and all these people, obviously knew supposedly you know, knew what they're talking about yeah um but because they actually you know imported cameras and things like that but like i i don't understand especially if the law's gone and things like that i mean like i don't know i mean sony um, doesn't have it anymore panasonic never had it you know and so for any camera manufacturer it's, it's, I mean, like yeah it's, i think that it comes down because it, uh sony has uh abc right um and uh panasonic shot Panasonic doesn't just do uh, MOV or MP4, right? It's uh, it's an ABC file or no, something. No, it's 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 not the file type. It's not a technical limitation. It was purely a way to not be taxed, and yeah. I think Panasonic either paid the tax or somehow they got around that. I don't know, but there is no technical or legal reason why a camera has to stop at twenty nine point five nine minutes anymore. And so hopefully we see with firmware updates those go away. All I can say is from what I've heard on forums and people talking about why the Canon still has it is might be because, you know, these cameras are designed years in advance, you know, and so perhaps they started manufacturing or started developing the software and hardware with the limitation in mind years ago. And so, you know, hopefully it's just a firmware update that'll fix it. But knowing when they were going to push it out and that we haven't seen any sort of change and the camera's been out and they haven't done anything with it yet makes me think they're probably they may never update it you know especially if the z5 hasn't updated it it doesn't make any sense why nikon has it if this is a reason but i do wonder sometimes whether the original reasons for canon uh and even sony were to not eat into their video camera market um but i don't understand why nikon would do that then you know i mean well nikon Unfortunately, has never produced a video camera, which I wish they would. Yeah, um, my, my, that might not be completely off because they may have thought, "Hey, why are we going to pay a tariff, you know, or pass that cost on to consumers 
when we have these yeah. perfectly viable video cameras that we want people to buy. And that could be a reason why Canon hasn't necessarily jumped to changing you know, the thing now, because again, they still want to have that market separation between their high-end DSLR and mirrorless and their you know, C200, yeah. C300 video lines. So. You know, I, actually, I might be. I, I was actually wrong, by the way, just uh, about the the Z5 and uh, the video K4. Uh, oh, that's the that was actually the difference. Is that uh, it's not a 4K limitation. It's a uh, they don't have the slow motion. They don't have the 120 frames per second. Oh, okay. At 1080p. Yeah. That's the only difference. Which I, I love. I like it. It's super fun. Um, but uh, I've used it before, and it's and it's great. But it's not. It uses so much more room. Oh my god. Um, but yeah. So that's. Uh, a correction thing. I, I weirdly, I'm actually looking through the thing, and on Nikon, I don't see anything specific about. Um, yeah, no, it's it's also max recording time is 29 minutes and 59 seconds. Hmm. Yeah, that's weird. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I can't. Somebody's got to know. If you're listening and you have a have some sort of comment down below. I just, I just, yeah, no. I mean, it's um, if. It's such a confusing thing because I mean it would dramatic. I mean obviously there's an overheat issue on any on any DSLR or format camera that's they don't have the fan system and they don't have the cooling you know but I that doesn't usually cause a problem until like an hour like I I've filmed long events and that it only starts really causing problems at like an hour length as long as it's in a cooled room and everything like that but yeah I don't know if anyone knows uh, please. Uh, Write in, leave a comment somewhere, and uh, tell us because uh, that'd be really great to know. Yeah, well, we do know that the new Sony A7S III will not have any recording limits. And if you want the Panasonic version of the A7S III, get the GH5, which has no recording limits. I remember I shot like a two-hour-long thing in 4K that was like a speech or whatever. No issues, just continuous recording. It was great. So anyways, yeah. Not having to worry about limits. Artificial limits is a wonderful thing. All right. Well, I think that's going to end this week's show. Thank you so much, Zach, for taking time out and hanging out and no chit-chatting and, and catching up and all that stuff. It was great. And hopefully we'll have you back on more often in the future. All right. Well, <laughs> you know, the funny, th funny thing is I actually switched my sleep schedule around very recently. And uh, just the past week, I haven't been, I, like, I haven't been able to. Like, it just didn't work at 9 a.m., um, but like, uh, now I'm back to my normal sleep schedule where I wake up at like 1030 and go to sleep at like four in the morning. Oh my gosh. Uh, so I'm sorry. <laughs> no worries, buddy. All right, man. Well, you know, this will all be resolved whenever I get back to the States. So we'll get back <laughs> to normal. <laughs> all right, man. Well, uh, this has been weird experimental, just chit chat. No, no plan. No, uh, structure around the lens episode, special edition with Zach. I have been your host. And for Zach Roberts, I'm David J. Murphy, and we're out of here. Thanks for listening to Around the Lens. We hope you enjoyed the show. To continue the conversation, head on over to one of our social media outlets, such as Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or Twitter. To support the show financially, consider donating to us via Patreon. For show notes from this week's episode and links to everything else we talked about, just go to our website, AroundTheLens.com. Finally, if you or someone you know might be a good guest for the show, get in touch with us via email at info at AroundTheLens.com. <laughs>